You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. Let us turn this afternoon to the prophecies of Isaiah chapter 19, the verses 1 to 22. An oracle concerning Egypt. See, the Lord rides on a swift cloud and is coming to Egypt. The idols of Egypt tremble before him, and the hearts of the Egyptians melt within them. I will stir up Egyptian against Egyptian, brother will fight against brother, neighbor against neighbor, city against city, kingdom against kingdom. The Egyptians will lose heart, and I will bring their plans to nothing. They will consult the idols and the spirits of the dead, the mediums and the spiritists. I will hand the Egyptians over to the power of a cruel master. And a fierce king will rule over them, declares the Lord, the Lord Almighty. The waters of the river will dry up, and the riverbed will be parched and dry. The canals will stink. The streams of Egypt will dwindle and dry up. The reeds and rushes will wither. Also the plants along the Nile at the mouth of the river. Every sown field along the Nile will become parched, will blow away, and be no more. The fishermen will groan, and the men, all who cast hooks into the Nile, those who throw nets on the water will pine away. Those who work with combined combed flax will despair. The weavers of fine linen will lose hope. The workers in cloths will be dejected, and all the wage earners will be sick at heart. The officials of Zoan are nothing but fools. The wise counselors of Pharaoh give senseless advice. How can you say to Pharaoh, I am one of the wise men, a disciple of the ancient kings? Where are your wise men now? Let them show you and make known what the Lord Almighty has planned against Egypt. The officials of Zoan have become fools. The leaders of Memphis are deceived. The cornerstones of her peoples have led Egypt astray. The Lord has poured into them a spirit of dizziness. They make Egypt stagger in all that she does as a drunkard staggers around in his vomit. There is nothing Egypt can do, head or tail, palm branch or reed. And that day the Egyptians will be like women. They will shudder with fear at the uplifted hand that the Lord Almighty raises against them. And the land of Judah will bring terror to the Egyptians. Everyone to whom Judah is mentioned will be terrified because of what the Lord Almighty is planning against them. And that day five cities in Egypt will speak the language of Canaan and swear allegiance to the Lord Almighty. One of them will be called the city of destruction. In that day, there will be an altar to the Lord in the heart of Egypt and a monument to the Lord at its border. It will be a sign and witness to the Lord Almighty in the land of Egypt. When they cry out to the Lord because of their oppressors, he will send them a savior and defender, and he will rescue them. So the Lord will make himself known to the Egyptians, and in that day they will acknowledge the Lord. They will worship with sacrifices and grain offerings. They will make vows to the Lord and keep them. The Lord will strike Egypt with a plague. He will strike them and heal them. They will turn to the Lord and he will respond to their pleas and heal them. 
Our text this afternoon is taken from the remaining verses of Isaiah chapter 19, the verses 23, 24, and 25. There we read, in that day, there will be a highway from Egypt to Assyria. The Assyrians will go to Egypt and the Egyptians to Assyria. The Egyptians and Assyrians will worship together. In that day, Israel will be the third along with Egypt and Assyria, a blessing on the earth. The Lord Almighty will bless them, saying, Blessed be Egypt, my people, Assyria, my handiwork, and Israel, my inheritance. Beloved congregation of our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ, yesterday was... Canada Day, and our nation celebrated its 139th birthday. Across our land, there were speeches, parties, picnics, and fireworks. Many came out and expressed their appreciation for this vast, big, beautiful land of ours. It was a real day of festivity. For a few, however, it was also, however, a day of reflection. For while it is true that as Christians we have been richly blessed in this land, there are also any number of issues and questions that arise. And so perhaps the main question these days is the question, where really is God in all of this? Where is the Lord when it comes to the nation of Canada? And where is the Lord when it comes to the nations of the earth? Of course, there are many people who would dismiss those kind of questions out of hand. There are unbelievers who refuse even to acknowledge the existence of God, let alone the sovereignty of God, and who say that God has nothing to do with Canada or the nations. At the same time, there are also any number of Christians who do not quite know what to make of the relationship between God and Canada. Does he care? Is God involved at all? Do God and politics even mix? And so what is it, beloved? Does God really care about the nation of Canada? Does he really care about the nations of the earth? Does he dirty his hands with unholy politics? Well, if you're a true student of the Bible, you know the answer. God cares. God cares about Canada and God cares about the nations. By turning to the Old Testament and seeing how often he addresses the nations in terms of his concerns and his judgments, we see he cares. And in the New Testament, by sending the gospel out to the very ends of the earth, we see again that he cares. Both Old Testament and New Testament testify to God's involvement with the nations. Yes, and perhaps, beloved, this is best displayed in what we read 
in that Old Testament book written by the prophet Isaiah. In it you'll find all kinds of references to the nations, and one of them is also our text of this afternoon. And so I preached to you on the following theme, what God will do among the nations. We are going to see the agents he will use, the nations he will target, and the blessings he will send. Oh, beloved, we have read together Isaiah chapter 19, and what is it but an oracle predominantly to and about the nation of Egypt? And it is not alone, as we said a moment ago, God, our God, is involved with the nations, and the book of Isaiah proves it. In that particular book, you can read about God's concern, not only about Egypt, but also Philistia, Moab, Syria, Assyria, even far off Ethiopia. And true enough, the Lord God speaks most often to the nation of Israel, to his covenant people, but he does not exclude the nations round about. They too get to hear his voice. Yes, and often how they hear his voice. As you can read from Isaiah, it is frequently the voice of judgment. Here in Isaiah 19, the Lord is depicted as coming to Egypt on a swift cloud. And the result is that all the idols of Egypt and the peoples of Egypt begin to tremble. And their hearts begin to melt. And great confusion fills the land and civil war breaks out and... Even the mighty Nile River dries up and the fields are no longer irrigated and the fishermen no longer catch anything and the cloth workers don't know what to do with their time. The economy is in a shambles. And in the meantime, the princes will be able to do nothing. And Isaiah says the wise men show themselves ultimately to be fools. The people of the land will shudder because the Lord God Almighty is afflicting them. Egypt is firmly in the grip of God's wrath. So what do we see here, beloved? We see that God deals with the nations. Indeed, we see that God judges the nations. But is that all that he does? Is he only nasty and negative towards them? Is Egypt's future only one of doom and of gloom? No, beloved, for as we continue reading on, we come and we see some startling things. In verse 18, we are told that part of Egypt, at least five cities, will swear allegiance to the Lord Almighty. And in verse 19, we are told that there's going to be an altar to the Lord in the center of the land. And at the border of the land, there is going to be a monument to the Lord. And there is more. Read verse 23. In that day, there will be a highway from Egypt to Assyria. The Assyrians will go to Egypt and the Egyptians to Assyria and the Egyptians and the Assyrians will worship together. Now that is really radical, earth-shaking news. 
But you need to understand, beloved, here we have Egypt and we have Assyria, those two ancient superpowers who have always been at each other's throats. And now we're told that a highway is going to connect the two. Everyone who hears it would say impossible. How many battles have they not fought? How much blood have they not shed? How much hatred have they not vomited up against each other? And then we're told that a highway is going to connect these two old foes. That is going to be filled with traffic going back to and fro. And we're even told that they're going to come together and worship the Lord. How is it possible? How and when will it happen? Well, for an answer, beloved, you need to consult a map. And when you do so, you see that Assyria is located to the northeast of Israel, and Egypt is located to the southwest. And that the distance from Asher, the capital of Assyria, to Memphis, the capital of Egypt, is about a thousand kilometers as the crow flies. It's a note. Note that Isaiah says that between them is going to run a highway. Not a footpath, not a camel trail, a highway. In other words, that means, and Isaiah uses that terminology more often, that means that there's going to be a free flow of people and of goods. It's going to be a highway in the sense of a freeway. No bunkers, no machine gun nests, no landmines, no barbed wire. No, it's going to be safe and secure and free. And we say, great, but how? How will this be? How is it going to come to pass? Who's going to make this happen? And you can say, beloved, the answer, believe it or not, is in a ruler. You take a ruler, you take a map, you put one end of the ruler on Memphis, and you put the other end of the ruler on Asher, and then you look along the ruler. What do you see? Where does the line go? Well, the line goes straight through the middle of Israel and through the city of Jerusalem. So what does that mean? Well, it means that Israel and Jerusalem are the connecting links, the, the agents that will establish this newfound unity between Assyria and Egypt. Israel is the mediator. Israel is going to be the reconciler of the nations. She stretches out her right hand to the Assyrians and she stretches out her left hand to the Egyptians. And they're joined together. What a development. But then, beloved, if Jerusalem and Israel answer the how question, what about the when? When will this happen? At what point in history is this going to come to pass? 
Well, look again at our text. In our text, you can see there is a certain refrain, and the refrain is, in that day. Whenever Isaiah is about to predict something special is going to happen, he uses that expression, in that day. But when? When is that? Is that going to be shortly before Christ returns? Uh, if you read the books of the premillennialists and the dispensationalists, they'll tell you, oh, just before the end times or just before the thousand years, it'll happen. But I would say to you, beloved, it happens much earlier than that. You can say that what you have here in that day is a reference to Pentecost and to what happens after Pentecost and even to what is happening today. And what is that? Why, it's the fact that the gospel of the risen, ascended Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is going out to all the earth. The gospel of Jerusalem, the gospel of Israel, And when the gospel goes out, and when the gospel is believed, you know what it does? It breaks down barriers. It makes you colorblind. It makes you class blind. It removes ancient hostilities. It gets rid of hatred and enmity. It heals divisions. It washes away racism. Beloved, nothing brings about unity like the gospel. It's the greatest agent in all the world of reconciliation. It's the true answer to all discord. It even causes enemies to worship together. And beloved, because of this, it's so important so very important that Christians everywhere should take this gospel and spread it. Let their light shine. Currently in Canada we have many blessings, as I mentioned earlier. But at the same time, we cannot ignore some of the evils that also exist in our land. The evil of abortion. The evil of same-sex marriage, the evil of greed, the evil of lust, the evil of homosexuality. I don't know whether you're aware, but last Sunday there was a, a gay parade in Toronto. According to the National Post, more than a million people came out. Men, women, children, families. What did they go out to see? Men pretending to be women, women pretending to be men, people half-dressed, men strutting down the street naked. It's gross. Absolutely gross. You thought Sodom and Gomorrah was way back when? Sodom and Gomorrah is here today. Beloved, our nation, It's filled with great needs. It's filled with divisions. Divisions between the sexes, divisions between Christians and Muslims, 
divisions between natives and non-natives, between the French and the English. Of course, that's an old one. Yes, and you know, all of those divisions, they'll remain. They'll remain until the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ gets rid of it. For only it, only His Word can change hearts and attitudes and mindsets. Only His Word can bring about true unity. Unity in the church. Unity in the world. And unity in Canada. But then, beloved, there is more to our text. For not only does it speak about the agents of unity, it also speaks about the nations will experience this unity. Look at verse 24. In that day, Israel will be the third, along with Egypt and Assyria. But you have there as a kind of mini United Nations. We've already heard about Egypt and Assyria being allied together, but now Isaiah says there is a third party who's going to be added to the mix. Israel is not just going to be a mediator. No, Israel is going to be allied to Egypt and Assyria. They're all going to be on the same page. They're all going to be singing from the same hymn book. They're all going to be reading the same Bible. And I would say to you, that's an even greater surprise. That Egypt and Assyria would somehow get it together is extremely, extremely improbable. But that Israel would join them, that defies all imagination. Maybe you have to be a Jew to understand that, to understand the immensity of that kind of development. As a Jew, you would understand that both Egypt and Assyria have been implacable enemies of Israel. The one has stood there at the beginning of her nationhood. The other has been there at the end of her nationhood. Take Egypt. Egypt. It's the house of slavery and the land of bondage. That's where the Israelites were enslaved for hundreds of years. That's where the Jews first experienced genocide at the hand of Pharaoh who wanted to kill all the male children. That's where they ran smack into the great enmity between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. Egypt almost cost Israel her existence. And what about Assyria? There you have another mortal foe. Assyria stands there at the end of Israel's nationhood, repeatedly making attempt after attempt to conquer and to vindicate or victimize the land. Think of generals like Sennacherib. I think also of the fact that finally it is Assyria who takes the nation of the ten tribes and deports them to who knows where, never to be heard from again. So you need to understand, Assyria and Egypt, they cause the bile to rise in every Jewish throat. Fear to fill every Jewish heart. 
and hatred to dominate every Jewish mind. We can't stand them. They are the scum of the earth. We despise all Egyptians and Assyrians. Lord, wipe them out. And that was surely a fervent daily prayer. But notice, beloved, the Lord does nothing of the sort. Instead, what he does is he transforms them and unites them. He not only causes foes like Assyria and Egypt to get rid of their swords and their spears, but he adds Israel to the mix. He takes the deepest enemies, even the deepest spiritual enemies, and he makes them allies. In that day, Israel will be the third, along with Egypt and Assyria. So how does this happen? Beloved again, it's the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ, our Lord. But you know, we can be even more specific than that and say it's the Spirit who empowers this gospel. Who does it? Look at the book of Acts. Look at how the Spirit breaks down barrier after barrier and wall after wall and obstacle after obstacle until you have, would you believe it, a church composed of Jews and of Gentiles. Unimaginable. But the Spirit makes it happen. And we need to realize that. We need to be sensitive to that reality. We cannot do it of ourselves. So often we're told these days, well, you know, if you have the right evangelistic method or tool or approach, you can convert anybody. And I would say to you, nonsense. It's not in the tools. It's not in the approach. It's not in the methods. It's in the Spirit. The Spirit is the one who softens hardened hearts. The Spirit is the one who changes minds and attitudes and outlooks. And that's why we need to look to the Spirit and to the word of the Spirit, and we need to pray to Him, and we need to depend upon Him to transform our nation and the nations of the earth. And so, beloved, what have we seen thus far? We've seen how God unites the Syrians and Egyptians. We've seen even more that the Lord adds Israel to the mixture or the equation. In short, we've seen wonderful, surprising, unimaginable things. But you know there's more. Look for one last time at our text. At the end of verse 24, we are told that Israel will be a blessing on the earth. In other words, the Jews are being told or reminded here they're not allowed to live in isolation, cut off, 
separated from the rest of humanity. They're not allowed to think we need to protect and isolate and insulate and hide whatever God has given us, otherwise it will become corrupted and diluted. Now the Jews are to see themselves as the true descendants of Abraham. And God had called Abraham their forefather in order to make him a blessing to the nations. And the same applies to his offspring. God has made them a blessing and they in turn need to become an international blessing. And what about us? Does the same not apply to us who are called in the New Testament the Israel of God? Is Abraham not our father in faith? Do all of us who believe in Jesus Christ not consider ourselves to be children, true children of Abraham? We've received so much. The more you receive, however, the more you become responsible. And the more you need to share and to witness and to spread and communicate the gospel. This coming week, a teaching team will be going to the Far East, to China. And I'm privileged to be part of that particular team. But you might ask the question, why are we going there? Why all this time and all this money and all this energy on this particular project? Well, I think we have to say that as believers, this is an integral part of our our calling. This is who we are as priests and kings and prophets in the service of God. We are as Christians under a kind of holy compulsion. And the compulsion is to spread the good news of Jesus Christ far and wide. Oh, may those efforts be used by the Lord. And may they be also used to benefit people there. That's what we pray for and that's what we hope for. And indeed, look what happens in our text as the result of the spreading and the penetration of the gospel. Verse 25, the Lord Almighty will bless them, saying, Blessed be Egypt, my people, Syria, my handiwork, and Israel, my inheritance. I'm sure that after Isaiah said that, there were many Jews who said he should wash his mouth out with soap. Because here you have another startling pronouncement. Isaiah uses covenant names, covenant honors for uncovenantal people. To call Egypt my people. That's something that had always been reserved for Israel. Israel is God's people. Israel is the property of the Lord, His special possession. But no longer, Isaiah said, for even Egyptians will be able to lay claim to this name and this honor. 
And what about the Assyrians? Assyrians, most commonly known as the most bloodthirsty people on the face of the ancient earth. Well, they will be called my handiwork. And you know, my handiwork, that too, was formerly a name applied only to Israel. The Lord had formed her, shaped her, clothed her, endowed her, made her his special project. But no longer, says Isaiah, for now also the Assyrians may claim this name. And they too will be able to say, The Lord, the Lord Almighty, has taken us out of the pit of sin and death. He has changed our hearts and our minds. He has given us new life. And we are the work of his hands. And what about Israel? She remains what she has always been, namely the inheritance of the Lord. She will always be and remain the original people of God. She will always have a special place in his heart. Beloved, what blessings these are. And what a great thing it is that God has called us to go to the nations, Canada included, and say to them, turn from your wicked ways and live. Repent and believe in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. Do so and the enmity and the estrangement between you and God will be removed. And do so and you will experience just what a treasure and a gift it is to belong to God the Father through the work of the Son by the power of the Spirit. To hear God say to Egyptians and Assyrians, to Canadians and Americans, to Africans and Europeans, to Japanese and Chinese, you are my people. And my handiwork, what an honor, what a blessing. And how great it is that you and I may be instruments in God's hand to spread these blessings and these honors among the nations. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.